Welcome to Money and Taxes from BB to XYZ. I'm Jason Spessner, Certified Financial Planner and Enrolled Agent. And I'm Regina Neenan, Certified Financial Planner. Now on today's episode, we're going to talk about household finances and what it takes to make a house a home. And as many of you know, this was a really hot topic during the pandemic. When interest rates dropped super low, a lot of people were getting into their first homes or refinancing their current homes, maybe buying a second home. And today, a lot of people are staying in those homes because moving would mean taking out another mortgage, perhaps having a higher interest rate. And it's just so affordable to stay where they're at. Yeah. And I mean, think about this. Now, we're talking about averages here, but the costs of home ownership or just basically having a roof over your head is pretty substantial, right? So according to the St. Louis Fed, in the end of the third quarter of 2023, the median home price in the U.S. was just over $430,000. So bankrate.com says that an average mortgage rate's about 6% in January of 2024. So you put those two things together, and with a 30-year mortgage, you're going to end up with a payment of about $2,600 a month. And over the life of that loan, you're going to pay about a half million dollars in interest. So that's a pretty substantial cost of ownership when you own a home. Now, in Colorado, the average rent for all homes of all sizes and types is about $2,100 a month, according to Zillow. So it's still pretty substantial, but actually not quite as much as that principal and interest uh, payment on your mortgage. In either case, right, it takes a ton financially to have a roof over your head, like we said, and it's just something you got to plan and prepare for. And that's such a major expense. We're not even yet talking about what it takes to insure that property, to uh, have that backing in case something were to happen to one of your biggest investments in life. And according to NerdWallet, it costs an average of $1,820 per year to insure a home and 148 bucks a year to insure a rented residence. Okay, so let's stop right there real quick because why is that so different? Why is there, you know, somewhere around a sixteen hundred some odd dollar difference between the cost of insuring a owned home and a rented home? That's a great point, Jason. And it's because a rented home, the owner of that property is going to insure the structure. They're gonna make sure that their property is insured. As a renter, you're then only going to be insuring your own property and yourself against any liabilities on that property. So you have a lot less to insure as a renter, hence the lower cost of insurance. Yeah, and that's right. So we're tying in our liability insurance, the insurance for our possessions with the renter's insurance, and then with homeowner's insurance, of course, we're then piling on the coverage for that building that's around you that you own. And of course, if you have a mortgage, the bank is going to make sure that you are covering. And, and one other thing we, we also talk about with costs of home ownership that I think stands out too is, of course, the taxes, right? With rent, that's all baked in. Typically, most places, your cost is inclusive of the property tax. When you own a home, that's not the case. And in Colorado, you could easily stretch into the five, six, seven thousand dollars a year of property tax. In some parts of the country, you see this into the one or two thousand dollars a month for property taxes of a residential property. So taxes are another considerable cost of home ownership and just something, again, to keep in mind. So what about just making a house a home, right? And I'm talking about everything, including the taxes from like furniture to floor mats, silverware, towels, like all of those things that go into, of course, putting stuff in that place. You actually have a, a living in situation that you enjoy. It's all really going to add up, whether you're just starting out, you know, maybe going out in, on your own as a Gen Z or renting your first place all the way to being a baby boomer and knowing, hey, is it okay to have a mortgage when I'm financially independent or retired? So we're going to dig into one of those major home and finance related topics for each generation and discuss that. So hopefully you can figure it out for yourself. 
Okay, so let's start with baby boomers and think about this idea that, of course, right, not every baby boomer is a homeowner, but at the same time, if you are retired, if you're older, and if you own your home, is it okay to have a mortgage in retirement? And this is one where I think, Regina, you'll agree with me, right? It depends. And like a lot of financial planning scenarios, it does truly depend, doesn't it? Yes, yes, it does. And we hear so many people saying, you know, I really want to have my mortgage paid off before I'm retired. It's such a milestone and such a transition for so many people that it's just one less expense that they want to have to deal with in retirement or in financial independence. And Jason, is that something that you've heard commonly people wanting to make sure that that's off the table out of their cash flow plan before that retirement milestone? Yeah. I mean, it's huge, right? To think about having that sort of burden of having to have that expense on a monthly basis just lifted entirely. And of course, when you don't have your regular salary, your sort of day-to-day working income coming in, you want to cut down on the expenses or the required outflows that you have. But when you think about, let's just look at the last year as sort of a microcosm of this entire situation. And you think about what you could have earned on cash over the last year. If you were earning five or five and a half percent on liquid risk-free cash, and you had a mortgage that was at 2.5%, which some folks did easily refinance into that in the last three or four years, you could simply sit on an amount of cash you know, similar to your mortgage and bank a difference of about 2.5% on a monthly basis, covering all of that excess interest costs and still have all that liquidity. So there's a lot of these sort of nuances and how you sort of play with and work the numbers that can really lead to a position where you're just as strong financially and you may have that outflow, but you also have all of that backing of all of that liquidity to cover it and make sure that if you needed to pay off that mortgage, you know, it's just on a lark, basically, you could do it. I think a big misconception for a lot of folks who are moving into retirement or financial independence is that, you know, you're going to set your budget on that day and it's going to stay the same. You're on a, f- a fixed income. But folks who have, you know, done their due diligence, done their savings and are really ready for a well-prepared retirement things are going to change. You're not actually on a set income just because you have a set dollar amount at retirement to rely on. Because if you're invested, that amount is hopefully going to grow throughout retirement. Every dollar that you're not relying on actively is hopefully going to grow. So if you can fit into your cash flow plan and know that changes are going to happen throughout retirement, maybe every year, maybe every six months as you get closer to paying that off or not paying for your own health insurance if you retired before age 65 or waiting for social security timing to click in for you, there are so many moving pieces still that you can be really flexible. You can change things around as needed and still make your financial plan work out really strong. And I mean, how many cash flow planning consultations, Regina, have you done where there wasn't some change either in priorities or goals or things that just dollars needed to either be spent on or saved for? These things are going to change at our sort of desire to change and to reprioritize, not necessarily even just the hard numbers of dollars coming in and taxes and all the other sort of factors. Absolutely. Yeah. That's why we do cash flow planning twice a year at least with the opportunity for more consultations in between. I mean, my cash flow changes on a day-to-day basis, and I'm sure everyone else's does too, or at least nearly that much. So checking in with this, making sure that, you know, hey, if your mortgage payment's going to fit now, what's it going to look like when you pay that off on schedule, maybe a few years into retirement or financial independence? How's it going to change everything else? What opportunities is that going to bring? And how's it going to make your financial plan shift? Now, thinking of opportunities, if we think about Gen X and we look at sort of the nest emptying and all of a sudden you have a lot of home, 
potentially, and especially if you're a homeowner, and of course, not everyone from any generation is, but assume you are, and all of a sudden the nest empties, there's the opportunity to potentially downsize for a couple of reasons. One is you may downsize just to simply get to a more manageable property from a physically demanding standpoint, which you have to clean, what grass you have to mow and, and landscape you have to take care of. But then also from a financial standpoint as well, of course, that lower cost of ownership potentially stepping down into a property that just costs less on the whole. But the question sort of becomes like, when is the right time to do that? And I'll even push it one step further, especially if you're in one of these, you know, 30 year mortgages where your interest rate is about two and a half percent and your cost of ownership is just so darn low in that case. Right. And then you have to think about the fact that, you know, not everybody's becoming an empty nester. Some folks just had a larger home because maybe they had friends or family come stay with them at certain times of the year, like the holidays that we're just coming away from now. That space might be great for the next couple of years, but as they're getting ready to get closer to retirement, wanting something that's going to work for them well as they age, and Jason, as you mentioned, get into a space that's more physically suited to their physical abilities, they might just be prepping for that. So there are so many questions surrounding when the right time to downsize is for a multitude of reasons. And here's another thought about like downsizing. I, I often contemplate this. When we think about downsizing, I think it's always framed in a, well, I'm going to sell one property and purchase another. And so if I do mm -hmm. that and I have my 2.5% mortgage, I don't want to go and get a 6% mortgage now because now my cost of ownership is just going to skyrocket. Well, what if, just stay with me for a second, one is, what if you never sold that 2.5% mortgage property and you became a landlord? And I'll take this even one step further. What if you went and rented where you lived and banked that difference? So now all of a sudden you've created and maintained this asset that you hold, the cost of that capital, if you will, the cost of actually owning that is really low. You've maintained that. And now you're going to pay an additional cost to live somewhere that's probably going to be less than a new mortgage that you would take out if, again, if you do take out a mortgage on a, on a, a subsequent purchase, and you may come out ahead in this scenario. And so doing that, timing that well, as far as like your ambition to be a landlord or maybe just even finding a property manager, like I think that opens up a new type of opportunity for someone in that situation. And even beyond that, it takes, you know, instead of buying two homes, owning one, renting it out and renting your place could make it an easier move if having a long-term care option is part of your plan that you want to self-insure. You move from your rental home into a long-term care facility, and then you only have the one home to sell or to continue to rent taken care of by the property management company and whoever you trust to take care of you financially. It just makes it an easier move. But then, Jason, I also wanted to touch on um, a lot of the more lateral moves that we've been seeing people do as they get ready to downsize. Maybe they're moving from a multiple-story home to more of a one-level patio home, but they're staying at around the same price point. What does that mean for somebody who's making that type of a change? Other than swapping addresses, if you have a mortgage, you are going to have, even though you're maybe going one property worth X to the another property, again, costing X, so it's going to be identical cost. But again, if you do take a mortgage, you're going to have that additional cost on interest and, and so on. If you don't have you know, a mortgage, obviously, you're just sort of swapping addresses again. Hopefully, you're getting equal value for the spots, one that you're selling and one that you're purchasing. And then, of course, like your really considerations that come into play there would be just maintenance costs, right? And so if you're looking to downsize, if you will, get into a smaller property, hopefully, that's where you're going to see the savings. You're going to see less cost of insurance. You're going to see less cost of maintenance. Or if you do have some additional cost of maintenance, 
it's because stuff is getting done for you. And so you have less strain and time that you're taking to actually do the day-to-day maintenance of your property. So it's definitely something that is coming up fairly often, but the thing that's, you know, important there, especially, especially if you do have a mortgage involved is just seeing if like you're really benefiting all that much from doing that sort of lateral cost move. And I know you mentioned mortgages a couple of times here. What about our millennials or Gen Y who are maybe thinking about taking out their first mortgage, buying their first home, or considering the dollar differences that you mentioned on a monthly basis? What was it $2,600 a month for home ownership versus $2,100 a month for renting? Should you buy a home? How do you make sure you're really financially ready to make that move if it's something that you're considering? Well, and like you talk about the twenty six versus twenty one hundred dollars. When you bake in the insurance and the taxes, like you're easily stretching into the three thousand dollars a month for home ownership. So you're talking oh, yeah. probably legitimately a thousand dollar a month savings to rent. Now, when you do that, you better be productive with that thousand bucks if you can. Now, obviously, out of necessity, if you just simply cannot afford the three thousand dollars, but you can afford the twenty one hundred dollars, like the answer is oh duh, right? Don't put yourself into that house poor situation where you're just buying you know, this property that you just simply cannot afford. And trust me, mortgage brokers sometimes will put you in that scenario of like, how much can you afford sort of thing is, you know, pretty aggressive on your your actual income and, and expenses and debts and so on. But that difference, if you could afford the home, if you could pay the $3,000 a month, but choose to rent at $2,100 a month, the best thing you would do is what, right? What would you do with that difference? Save it. Yeah, save and invest it and do something productive with it. You answer this question in a way that sort of thinks about like, yeah, home ownership's great and I'm going to do all these cool things with the equity in my home. Well, put that aside for a second and realize what you could do with that difference in that cost and saving and investing that money and creating equity just in something else, right? Some other asset somewhere. Exactly. I think a really important consideration for folks, whether they are millennials, Gen X, or baby boomers who are thinking about, you know, do I switch to renting or do I stay renting, is the financial impact of fixing a property that you own. As a renter, you don't have to worry about that. So you might not have to have as much in your emergency fund because you don't have to worry about your water heater going out or having to do a major landscaping project. You just call up the landlord or your property management company and say, hey, come fix this. So that's certainly a big piece of it. And one that I've really been asking myself, I'm not a do-it-yourselfer. So do I want to continue renting or would I rather buy and have to, you know, call in a handy person to come in and make changes and do fixes and take care of all the things that I am not equipped to do myself or not willing to do myself, I should say. Oh, but Reggie, you could go to Home Depot and Lowe's and ask somebody how to help you switch out that plumbing, switch that toilet, do that electrical work, right? You could you could just easily take care of those things with a little bit of sweat equity, as they say, right? I don't know about you, but I've never wanted to be a plumber. Yeah, no. Hey, I hear you, right? There's some things that they're just hard to do for their own reason. And I you don't want to mess with them because especially like think about electrical work. That just sounds dangerous. Yeah, no doubt. Anyway, back to the question here of should you buy a home if you're a millennial, a lot of it will come down to one, circumstantial of like what you can afford and if you truly can. But then two, if you make that decision to not do it, just be productive with those dollars and really take some intentionality in the savings that you're going to realize by renting because you certainly, I mean, the numbers don't lie, you will save money by renting. Just do something intentional with those dollars to actually make the most out of them for sure. Yeah. And if you are thinking about buying and you're renting right now, 
model a cash flow plan surrounding what it would take to be a homeowner. Make sure that before you buy your emergency fund is not where it needs to be today, but where it would need to be as a homeowner. Make sure that you bake in those other expenses like the higher cost of insurance, like property taxes, like any fixes that you may need to do on a home that you're buying if it's not you know, freshly refinished, remodeled, redone. And that really leads us into Gen Z because a lot of millennials have just gone through the process of maybe moving into their first home within the last decade or so. For Gen Zers, when do you know when you're ready to you know, move out of mom and dad's or prepare to graduate from college, move out of student housing into your own place or with some roommates? What do you need for the basics, those things that you mentioned earlier, Jason, to kind of make that house a home? And where can you get started? Yeah. And I've seen this apply across every generation, frankly. I mean, I, I know folks that are in their 70s and 80s that have a roommate. That is not something that at any age that you should overlook as an opportunity to potentially make your either home ownership or just rental situation more affordable. But especially Gen Z, it's, it's sort of the natural stage in life where you consider having a roommate you probably were just in or are maybe even still in college and, and are just going through this experience of actually having to live with someone who maybe is not a member of your family, but it also can, of course, help offset the cost. So that's number one. And sometimes you even see that in a home ownership scenario. Let's go in on a house. Now, it gets a little messy, right, with ownership, and you got to be really careful in that scenario. But maybe if you're ambitious enough, you become the owner and take on the renters. Now, doing that, you need to be in a position where that actually makes sense without the renters. Don't ever think about well, I'm going to have all these people renting my home so I can make sure that I can buy you know more house than I absolutely can afford. No. If you're in a good situation, out of school, really good income, and you maybe would consider home ownership and having roommates to actually live with you and pay that rent, just make sure that you can do that if they come late on the rent or they don't pay at all. You got to make sure that you can afford the place you're actually purchasing. Yeah. And be ready because even if you are living in the same residence as those roommates, you're going to be taking on some of those landlord or property management responsibilities whether you own or rent, just keeping everybody organized, making sure that you pay the bills on time. These things take time and also a lot of mental energy. So ensure that you're prepared for that. Yeah. And, and no matter what, if you just think about this, about how much do I need for the basics and, and kind of where do I start with this? I mean, we just went through some of the stats here. You're probably going to take about a couple thousand dollars a month, set that aside and know that that is going to be housing. That is pretty much what it takes nowadays. Now, that's that's a pretty considerable amount, especially if you're just coming out of school, for example, and you're maybe in that first or second job where you're trying to make all of the other parts of your life work. You want to do things you enjoy. You need transportation. You need entertainment and food and all this stuff. Be cautious and conscientious and very intentional, again, with maximizing those dollars. And when you can and when you have the opportunity to have more than enough to spend on housing. Don't make yourself house poor and go and do that. Go all in on your housing costs. Make sure that that's something that is, is again, very measured to meet your needs and, and kind of suits you. And if that is renting, hey, there is absolutely no shame in, in renting for a very long time. In fact, renting and it's still owning potentially as even a landlord, holding an asset, not necessarily living there. Those are things that happen all the time. So there is still this idea that where you live, you don't necessarily need to be an owner of, especially if it fits sort of the use case scenario that you have. For example, like you mentioned earlier, Reggie, of a not wanting to, uh, to be the fixer upper and be the handyman on that property. That's right. And as far as kind of the smaller details of making a house a home, once you can afford the roof over your head, you know, you have a place to sleep, you have the utensils you need to eat, you don't have to move into a place and have everything fully furnished and ready to go. 
you can add things in bits and pieces. I don't know about you, but for years I had, you know, the hand-me-down couch and love seat and coffee table. Yeah. So know that that you can always add to the furnishings in your home as time goes on. Put them on your holiday list, your birthday list. Create a little sub savings account for different pieces that you might want for your home and kind of build from there. But when you're ready to begin, make sure you're ready financially, make sure it fits in your cash flow plan and that you're ready for the other changes that happen when you move away from, you know, student housing or your parents' home or a family or friend's living situation. Make sure that you're prepared for those. And I'll say this, and we didn't really touch on the whole idea of whether you have kids or don't have kids and how that all plays into things. But when you do have kids and you go and buy that nice furniture, you will regret that you don't have the old hand-me-down couch and coffee table <laughs> and all the things because they will run through that faster than you would ever believe. And you'd just be like, I should have just kept the thing I had at college because it would have been just fine for this scenario. So there is totally a lot of opportunity there to make a lot of good use out of a lot of good quality possessions over time. So let's talk about today's takeaways. And I think number one for me is home ownership. of course, is so circumstantial. It is the it depends by definition. So avoid this whole keeping up with the Joneses, as the old saying goes, and, and just do you, right? Find the right fit that works out for your situation, your cash flow plan, your financial plan in general. And no matter your age, takeaway number two here, prioritizing your mortgage payoff depends so much on your cost of living, your cash flow situation, how much you have left on that mortgage. No matter your age, make sure that everything fits well into your cash flow plan and your overall financial plan so that everything's in harmonization. That's a good point. And at the end of the day, renting or buying, don't be house poor. Work with a financial planner who can help you figure out how to really make the numbers work so that your circumstances, your situation, you're not just constantly working at how to get that housing cost covered. You have other opportunities for growth and ways to reach your financial goals. Now, what did we leave out in today's takeaways or today's episode? Reach out and let us know. You can find us at podcast at fpfoco.com. And you'll also find that email in the show notes. Now, even though I just talked on a microphone for about 20 minutes, this episode was also written and produced by me, Jason Spessner. And me, Regina Neenan. I also edited the episode. And thank you for doing that, Regina. Well, hey, everyone, thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you soon. Jason Spessiner and Regina Neenan are investment advisor representatives of Financial Planning Fort Collins, a registered investment advisor. The information in this podcast is provided for general educational and entertainment purposes only. It may not apply to you or your specific circumstances and should not be considered financial, investment, or tax advice. 